here on the Lollygaggers podcast, we believe in a saying. If at first you don't succeed, try, try again. And again. And again. In this episode, Jeff gushes about the new comic from Kieran Gillen called Die, while Justin embodies his inner animated bad guy in the board game Villainous. This week's Gentleman's Challenge underscores how one of us plans and the other does not, as Sorceress meets the good, the bad, the weird. Welcome to episode number 41 of the Lollygaggers podcast, a show about all sorts of different things from comics to games, movies to TV. I am one of your hosts, Jeff. I'm the other one, Justin. How's it going, man? I don't know. We'll find out, won't we? Yeah, we're uh, about to find out how's it going. Yeah. <laughs> Justin and I have been trying to record episode 41 for weeks at this point. Uh, first, I almost died of the plague. Then his dog, Brutus, got really sick after eating his uh, eating Justin's underwear. Uh, I mean, anyone we, anyone would at that point. Anybody. I mean, I, 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 it's pretty amazing uh, that he he uh, he made it through. It's your underwear, after all. Uh, and then uh, and then we had trouble with uh, with recording. And then now we're still having try. Whatever. No one cares. Twenty nineteen has been a very interesting uh, interesting start. Uh, let's just uh, great start. Yeah, and, yeah, it's awesome. But on the bright side, Justin, I do have good news. <laughs> I am getting further and further in this whole comic thing. I have found my third ongoing comic that I am now subscribed to, and I, I am going to be reading with great regularity. Uh, and it is a new one because it just started dropping uh, back in December. Uh, it's called Die, D-I-E, uh, reference to the idea of dying, I suppose, and death, but also reference to uh, you know chucking dice uh, for like an RPG because that's kind of what it's about. So this is written... By Kieran Gillen, uh, who's known for the Wicked Plus of the Vine or the Wicked End of the Vine. I'm not sure how exactly that's pronounced. Uh, and has art by Stephanie Hans, who has become my favorite artist because the art in this uh, comic is amazing. Uh, you should go while I'm talking and look at it because it's it's pretty astounding. Uh, it has this amazing like red uh, filter that kind of goes through so many of these different uh, these different cells. Uh, whether it's like character art or even landscape art, it's just fantastic. Uh, so the basic premise of this uh, this actual comic reminds me a little bit of uh, of it uh, because it's this sort of two you know Stephen King's it that it's got these two time frames right when they're kids and in this case in, in die when they're teenagers back in the early 90s uh, versus when they're adults and now they're 25 years later they're in their early 40s uh, and they're dealing with this childhood trauma they share childhood trauma of a supernatural variety much like uh, much like in it, uh, the writer Kieran Gillen describes it sometimes as goth Jumanji because in Jumanji it's the idea of get, of these kids getting sucked into the game. Very similar here, but the difference is is that instead of it being like a board game, it's actually a tabletop role playing game. So it's a type of games that I play. So D and D, Vampire the Masquerade, Starfinder, etc. So it's that type of game. So the premise is it's 1991. And a group of teenagers, or this is this is more like a flashback. So actually, the comic starts with a flashback to 1991. The entire comic is being told uh, by a character by the name of Dominic Ash. So in in the present day, which is when he's in his 40s, uh, he wants to be known as Dominic. It's sort of sad, and he's looking back on this past trauma. Uh, but basically, goes by Ash, and that's kind of the name that uh, that that's used within the comic world. So it's 1991. Uh, Ash and his sister Angela 
uh, are going over to their friend Solomon's house. Solomon is best friends with Ash. They have like the same birthday. And Solomon designed an RPG game for all of them to play as celebration for both of their birthdays, right? And it's when I say design, I don't just mean like they're playing, you know, a D&D campaign. No, it's like an actual brand new game system, sort of. And it's interestingly enough, Kieran Gillen is working on that system with rules that that is going to eventually be released after the first like run of issues, like the first six issues or so, and you can actually play it. And I'm really interested in getting to play that at some point. Uh, so they all decide in 1991 to go play this game. Uh, it's sort of a mix of fantasy and sci-fi because everyone's got their own little uh, designs on what they want their characters to be. Uh, but much like Jumanji, something strange happens and they get sucked into the game world. Uh, the game world, I think it's just called Die. I think that's actually the name of the the actual world itself. It's it's interesting because there's this one uh, there's this one image where uh, the the Earth you know how we have like that spherical shape the earth has actually got a d20 shape which is sort of fun uh, but anyway uh, they get sucked into the die world or into the, and then it's about two years before they come back out like two years in real time they disappear for two years and they show up one night uh, on a street just in the middle of the road and they they've been missing for two years and it's been this huge story but unfortunately, not all of them make it back. I'm not going to say who who doesn't come back. And not all of them come back in one piece. Uh, so it's not the best thing. And plus, they all seem to be unable to describe the events of what transpired for the past two years. Like, what the hell happened, right? And so they can't just go and tell people, hey, we've been in a game world for two years. They just, they just can't tell anybody. Uh, and so it's this big thing. Now, 25 years later, that's the now of this particular comic. Uh, Ash, it's again his birthday. And this time he's turning somewhere around 43, 44. So I'm not exactly sure the exact age, uh, but he's in his early 40s. And he gets a present uh, that's delivered to him while he's having drinks with his uh, with uh, with his sister. And it is a box that has a, a D20 inside of it. Uh, and the D20 is sort of caked in blood. Uh, and they kind of freak out a bit. He tries, he, he thinks about smashing it because he, he's not sure exactly how to interpret this. Is this a threat? Is this a sign? Or is it all happening again? That type of thing. Uh, and though, so he decides to get the, the surviving gang back together to decide what they want to do. And I, I'm going to, I'm just going to have to spoil issue one here a little bit, but uh, because need, they need to, uh, Otherwise, there's no way to talk about issue two. And that's they all get sucked back in again, except now they're adults. Now they have so much more baggage. They have so much more life experience. Uh, and they have had this this constant memory of what's happened to them uh, when they were teenagers, like weighing on them, the decisions they made. And now, to some degree, those decisions are coming back home to roost. Uh, the second issue really dives more into establishing a little bit of the world of Die, like the actual fantastical world, which is... A mix of sci-fi and fantasy. Uh, so in some cases, there's sort of satirization uh, to some degree, or like, you know, not, not, I'm not necessarily sure if satirization is the right word, but, word, but certainly there's uh, kind of tweaking or commentary on the existing tropes that we commonly see in traditional RPGs. So for example, uh, the, the narrator often talks about or mentions how rogues or thieves and you know rogues in D&D are often mistrusted and it seems kind of strange considering how everyone who plays D&D is basically a murder hobo and they go around stealing things and so in the world of Die the rogue character is instead a Neo and this Neo character 
is like a sort of cyberpunkian and what that rogue character needs is every morning it needs to consume this this sort of fairy gold dust uh, like it's a drug or else their abilities won't work and so basically creating a very uh, a very very much an addict and so this idea of is this is this misplaced trust or this mistrust of this character now warranted as opposed to whether or not it was warranted you know just just because a person happens to be a rogue in dnd uh, there are a bunch of other interesting classes uh the cool thing with this is that with with the game and with the comic each particular class is associated with only one die so the d4 is the dictator uh, which is kind of like a, a crazy bard so if everybody hated bards and was scared uh quote list of bards uh they would be the dictator uh, then there's a D6, which is like a fool, kind of like a Leroy Jenkins types character who just wants to go and do crazy things and is kind of like brash and and whatnot. Uh, then there's uh, the Godbinder, uh, which is kind of like a warlock slash cleric if the cleric kind of enslaves gods to do their bidding. Uh, and I think, uh, I can't remember exactly what die that is. That might be a D12. Uh, the Neo, I think, is a D10. Uh, then there's the Grief Knight, which is just a subclass of the Emotion Knight. And so it's kind of like a Paladin, except your powers are charged by a particular emotion. In this case, the character in the story is Grief. Um, now, the the actual game itself, or the actual comic, is, is, again, going to be turned into a game where, like, they're developing rules at the same time. They're sort of, like, you know, kind of weaving back and forth between the two. But in the comic, we see how each of the existing characters are actually playing or, or you know, experiencing these particular classes. Uh, and so a lot of issue two goes into what are their abilities and sort of defining those types of things. Now, in addition to that, like it's there's some elements of the world and we get a little bit of an idea of well, who and why are they brought back? We get some of that answered in issue two right off the bat. Uh, we get to see a little, you know, we get to hear some of the factions, some of the places. There's this wonderful uh, location that they describe as Eternal Prussia. And like the names of some of this place, some of these places are fantastic. And it's like a like a war zone. I think it, it, it sounds a little steampunky. We'll see if that's the case, uh, if they decide to go there. Um, we also see them interact with some of the some of the NPCs that they encountered back in the day when they were kids. And some of those decisions that they made are kind of coming back to roost now. Uh, and so now they have to kind of make a lot of these decisions, uh, understanding the weight of those decisions in ways that perhaps they didn't really understand uh, back when they were teens. So I cannot recommend this comic enough. Uh, it's it's only on issue two. Issue three drops the 6th of February. I think the plan is like the 6th of every um, of every month. It's put out by Image Comics. So uh, you can you can grab a, a, a print issue. Apparently, it's on its third print issue already, issue two, which I guess it's a big thing. The fact that it's is constantly being printed so quickly and it's only been out for a couple weeks now, uh, so that's really really good. Uh, the story is amazing. I think it's it's dark and it's deep, which is really nice. I like those types of stories, and the art is so immersive and so amazing, from the character designs to the actual landscaping. Uh, some of these, some of these images, I would just like to blow up and make them into a, you know, art on my wall. Especially the landscape images; it's just so amazing. There's this one, there's this one uh, uh, image where he, where the main character has the 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 actual box in the very beginning in, in issue number one, and it's thinking about smashing it. So he brings it outside, and it's raining, and it's like sort of off kilter a little bit. Like the, it's not like a a perfectly 
uh, uh, the, the horizon's a little crooked and he, and he's like trying to crush it while it's raining. It just looks so gorgeous. Uh, so I think it's amazing. Uh, I can't wait until the next issue comes out. I can't wait till the game comes out. I would love to play the game, which sounds, uh, it sounds like when you, when you play the game, like not only do you design like actual character, you know, characters that you play like amongst these classes, but you also design, like who are you playing in the real world? Sort of like that same double tiered. Like there are forty somethings that are coming back to play again. So like there's two levels of almost character creation going on. So it's really fascinating, really interesting. Uh, it is Die by Kieran Gillen. Uh, definitely, definitely grab it. All right, man, that's pretty sweet sounding. I, uh, if we're gonna completely change the script here, since you did some comic a booking, right? right? I right. did some official uh, term. Yeah, I. Uh, I believe you guys call it did some border gaming. Um, and I did that with my brother when I was That's in Colorado. That's 100% correct. Like you're really, it's amazing. I've been doing a lot of research on it. I've been uh, reading up on uh, proper lingo and border gaming is one of them. So I played a game called Villainous with my brother Chad when I was up in Colorado. Now, I would have talked about this a little sooner if, uh, you know, we weren't constantly tripped up by technicalities and problems going on. Uh, with our lives and uh, stop feeding uh, your dog your underwear and maybe just you know. eat it just eat the underwear stupid um so anyways this game's called villainous is by uh wonder forge games it is a disney-based villain game and so the idea is is there's six main villains the villains you have are the queen of hearts you have hook king john maleficent uh jafar and ursula and you're basically playing each of these characters. And instead of usually playing your normal hero in like the, a Disney movie, you're playing as the villain. And the whole point of the game is you want to try and complete the machinations of your plan in order to rule the universe or whatever it is the particular uh, bad guy wants to do. Uh, I played King John from Robin Hood. My brother Chad played Ursula from Little Mermaid. And my wife played Maleficent from uh, Sleeping Beauty. And basically the game works like this. Each person has a character card. Each character card is basically their board. And it's like a little pamphlet. You open it up, it's maybe about uh, 10 inches long by 3 inches wide. And these cards contain different realms that you can travel to on each turn. There's different types of pieces. Uh, You have your main character piece, which are all really, really cool looking. They're very simple, like uh, Monopoly pieces, but... They're designed in a way to not only represent what the character is, but the movie that it's from. And it's yeah, really, it looks really like cool. like kind of like abstract miniatures. Like Prince John looks like almost like a goblet or a crown or something like that. But is he that- also looks like Prince John's head, which is interesting. Right. And then like Ursula kind of looks, it's got that purplish color from like Little Mermaid and has like octopus feet sort of. Yeah. So it's, it's really interesting how they do their, their figures. And so there's different parts to each uh, each board. Some little there, there's four realms on each board. So for uh, King John, you had the uh, the archery area, you had the uh, the jail, and a few other places you go to. Some of them can be locked off. Uh, like Ursula had a place that she can't, like she has to have one place locked off every time. Like there was uh, King Trident's lair or uh, the boat and stuff like that. So there's little things here and there. Each character has a win con to try and. Uh, to finish the game and they're all unique to the character for me as king john my job was to collect 20 resources so there's these power resources you can you can gain each round by traveling to different realms and 
uh, his goal was if you had 20 by the beginning of your turn, you win the game, which is very much in theme with uh, King John because he's greedy and wants everybody's money. Uh, my brothers, he had uh, Ursula. His job was to get uh, the trident and have it in King Triton's uh, lair because, uh, you know, the whole point of that movie is that she's trying to uh, become the ruler of the uh, of the sea world and stuff like that. So it's all very theme-based. My wife, she played Maleficent. Her job was to put a curse on each realm she was in, and these curses have different types of abilities that can help her out or also hinder people trying to stop them. So it's really cool how each person has their own thing. Uh, Jafar has to get the genie's lamp in the Sultan's palace. The Queen of Hearts needs to turn a certain number of heroes into wickets, like she does in the movie. And Hook, his job is to just defeat Peter Pan. And so basically every person has their own little thing. And when you end up playing the game, the stuff you do kind of fits the theme of what you're doing. Like me as little John, I found myself not spending much on resources or trying to help myself out. I kind of hoarded my money to try and meet the end of my my, my goal. My brother Chad, he did a lot of these things with the uh, – Ursula has curses that she puts on people just like she does on uh, uh, Ariel where like if you curse things, you can then kind of remove them. It's really interesting how you kind of do certain things in this game. So there's two main decks that come with this. You have your character deck, which has allies and different abilities you can do. Some of these abilities can be done on other players' turns, very few of them, but most of them are, are kind of done on your turn. And the way you play these cards is as you go to a different realm, there's little dots on the realm, and the realm tells you the things you can do. A dot could be you gain uh, two power. You could have one that says you can play a card. You have one that says you can uh, vanquish a hero, we're going to have one that tells you to basically like uh, move one of your allies from place to place. And so there's a whole bunch of different things that can happen on these different realms. So you can only play cards depending on what realm you go into. So you have to kind of like strategize where you're going. Um, and these cards are picked up from your, 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 your villain deck. You have a fate deck, which is basically like a deck that your other uh, players that you play with use to try and hinder your progress in this fate deck. You can do a couple of things. It could either, uh, cover up certain realms you can't go to or put heroes in these realms kind of hindering the different things you do because if a hero is in a realm they cover up a couple of the dots in the realm so you can't use them and the only way to get rid of those heroes is to have an ally come to that same realm and then you have to vanquish it so it's it's little things you have to do to try and work back and forth it just causes these these uh bumps in the road for you to try and get to your whole thing so like when we were playing uh, we were trying to be very even with each other. We weren't trying to be picking on anyone else because we we're trying to really get to know the game and have fun. But it all ended up being that at the end, they all ended up using all the fake cards on me because uh, uh, I started pulling ahead a little bit and I stopped caring about there being heroes on the decks. So I was like, I don't care. Let people run amok. I care about my money. And I was just trying to hoard the money constantly. And I ended up winning. So it was all well within uh, the right of them trying to. Yeah, and it probably out. makes sense. Yeah, it probably makes sense. Yeah, I, I didn't care. So it was, yeah. it was fun. But uh, uh, we tried to when we were playing to try to like, all right, I'm going to screw with you. I'm going to screw with you. Uh, Chrissy would go to Chad. Chad would go to Chrissy. You know, we would just kind of like uh, go around. Because the whole thing, we really want to understand the game. The game's really fun. Um, and I think what's best about it is you can kind of like, you can do it with adults. And there's there's really big adult strategies of like, you know, things I like about magic gathering and stuff like that is I'm thinking three or four steps ahead. And I'm thinking about the steps that they're making too. Like I know what they, ha what they might have in their hand and thinking about how they could react and how I can react to their reactions. So there's that level of gameplay you can have where you can really think a couple steps ahead. But 
you can also play this really easily with kids. Um, it has really good themes. Yeah. It's not scary. It's fun. It's cute. And it's, it's, it's properties, you know, so yeah. they probably already, they probably already recognize the characters. Like the, I think that the age is officially like 10 plus, but you might be able to even go lower than that. Yeah. And like we, we prove with playing with each other, you don't have to pick on each other. You can just kind of like spread the wealth and it's still a very fun game. And it's just, it's a very understandable, easy to get to get, get to know game. There's a small little curve in the beginning, understanding how the realms work and the different signs work, but they have like a, a reference sheet to help you out. And once you get going and understand your character, it's 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 really an easy game to kind of get into. Um, so I'm looking at Board Game Geek right now, and it says it's got two to six players, but then it says playtime is about 50 minutes. Is that about right? Like, is that about how long it took you? You all that was to play? about how long it took for us to play, and we were being uh, cautious and taking our time and understanding too. So it took about an hour to do, and it was fun. Um, so it's a very accessible get in get out type of game if you want. And then there's there's six players, so you can either play with six people or we play with three. And you can, I don't have to play as King John every time. I can play as different people. And, you know, each experience can be different. Um, so I thought that was pretty fun. And I think it really leaves a lot of stuff open later on for, like, expansions. Because you can think of all the it's, different types of villains you can have. It's interesting that you say that because I was, I was up on Disney Villains Instagram. And they are yesterday started teasing uh, an expansion. Uh, they don't Ooh. they don't have anything official they haven't announced anything official but they're just like saying cast your votes below and so like on the instagram page they just have like a picture of all the current uh the current miniatures for all the villains and they're like they're talking about the next ones they're going to get so there's plans there's plans and so people are throwing out ideas you know like Cruella de vil and scar and yeah like, i'd like to see like a stuff. scar and a Cruella de vil uh one of my personal favorite villains in all the disney movies is from rescuers down under not many people know that movie but i love that movie and i think the hunter from the movie sure is great. i know it too um, yeah the voodoo guy from uh princess of the frog would be an awesome character he'd probably have a really cool little miniature like there's a lot of really cool stuff that you go with and they have really fun little things you could probably do with their types of characters so I think it leaves itself open for a lot of fun and uh i enjoyed playing it i i, I hope that one day I can eventually head to the closer to the family and we can play this on a more off uh, regular basis and stuff. Uh, yeah. More of a, 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 a board game night with the, with the brothers, but it was a really, really good time. So again, that's villainous from uh wonder forge. Uh, pick it up today. Excellent. It makes me so happy to hear that you're playing board games. So makes me happy that you read more comics. Any comics is, is perfect. I tell you, man, look at us growing, you know, yeah, we're growing. Yeah. By playing board games for ten year olds and reading comics. Yeah. Right. Yeah, we're we're getting older. Look at this. Listen, listen, I think it's cool. I know people judge, but they're 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 dumbasses. Anyway, uh <laughs> speaking of judging, uh let's go trash a Roger Corman movie. And now it's time for the gentleman's challenge. The Gentleman's Challenge is a segment we do here on the Lollygaggers podcast where Justin and I like to give each other some sort of homework assignment for the next episode. And in order to ensure that we do our homework, we come back and we quiz each other about it. Sometimes these assignments are meant to drive each other crazy. Sometimes these assignments are just meant to expose the other person to something pretty cool. Either way, we're going to spoil the crap of whatever it is that we're going to be talking about. So if you don't want to be spoiled uh, about whatever movies or, or games or TV shows that we're talking about, it's best to skip and come back to this episode when you're ready. Uh, on that note, 
Justin, I'm going to go ahead and lead us off because let's get the crap out of go the way. Go right ahead. So we can get into some in- interesting conversation about yours. So I want to talk about Justin's uh, Justin's wonderful decision to assign me Sorceress. A 1982 Roger Corman film that's directed by Brian Stewart. Some say it is the precursor to most Lord of the Rings films uh, and inspiration for those uh, Peter Jackson films. So. <laughs> yeah. Who who says this? Who says some, this? some. Some. <laughs> some. <laughs> Weird person, whoever that is. Uh, okay, so let me talk about this. First of all, I said it's directed by Brian Stewart. Interesting note, not actually the person's name. The person who uh, uh, actually directed it was Jack Hill, but he asked to have his name uh, removed after Corman recut it. Uh, and so, or I'm not sure if he asked or, or Corman did it or something like that. But basically, Brian Stewart are, the, are a combination of the first two names of Roger Corman's son. So it's sort of like a stage name at this point. Uh, but yeah, uh, uh, even the director didn't want to be associated with it. So thanks. Uh, other things, there's a lot of Mexican actors in here, and pretty much all of them had their voices uh, looped out in post-production by American actors. Uh, so the main villain, uh, who is Tragen, uh, he, he, whenever we see him talk, that's not really him talking. That's not his what? voice. What? And it is entirely noticeable. It is very, very noticeable. Uh, the sound in this movie is also pretty terrible, too. Like, there's this one scene where they show up at, I suppose it's supposed to be kind of like some kind of kind of Persian bazaar, and it is not, uh, it doesn't sound good. We can hear, like, them dragging their feet on the ground. It, just, it sounds terrible. Anyway, let me, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me get into the wonderful summary of what this movie's about. So, I mentioned the villain. The villain's name is Tragen. He is a sorcerer uh, who is evil or a wizard, something like that. Uh, and in order to maintain or kind of keep his powers, he has to sacrifice his firstborn child to his god, Caligara. However, his wife, uh, who has kids, uh, doesn't want this to happen. So at the very beginning of the movie, we see her and I'm assuming like a, a wet nurse or something like that running through the forest, being chased by Tragen and Tragen's uh, trusted soldiers as they're trying to grab her before she uh, evacuates the land uh, with not just his firstborn, but his secondborn. Because Justin, she had twins. She had twins. You noticed too that when he was uh, attacking her and like, you know, how much wizards do to stop women from having children for you know further on by like slashing her stomach with a claw of some type uh perfect body after just having two babies i don't know if you noticed that uh she bounced back really well it was really interesting how she was able to do that <laughs> i didn't even think about that but yeah i was, I was like it's like she had two babies what is the what that's how it works man God. i guess so and what are you sorceress what are you? she's a sorceress so maybe okay so there is, this is all happening in the first five minutes. I'm only five minutes in. That's how amazing this movie is. So it's action packed. So there's this big old fight, and then out of nowhere, this old guy with the worst beard uh, shows up, uh, and he's got like no muscles, but apparently he just starts like throwing down and crushing people. Now, even though she dies, the mother, uh, the the warrior Krona, one dude, fights off all of of 
uh, Tragen's uh, bad guys and whatnot. And he takes the children under his own wing and he promises to train them or give them the sorcerer. Like he touches them at some point And then like, there's this really bad special effects moment. Like he's like kind of transferring his powers to them or something, but then he drops them off with a friend of his and like, Hey, I, I don't really want to watch them. Can you watch them? I know I just said I was going to look out for them, but I don't want to do that. I was really just saying that maybe. And so he drops them off with these other people. And so for the next like 15 or 18 years or whatever it might be, or 20 years, uh, that, that family raises them and we flash forward then 20 years later and we see these, these twins and as young twins do, they grow up to swim naked together uh, in a lake and yeah. frolic. Yeah. yeah. While a satyr, uh, this little goat man uh, stares on uh, and gets an erection to the point where they try to wonder what that is. Is it a weapon? Uh, Thank you, Roger. Oh, that's what they meant. Right. Oh. And thanks, Justin, for not really looking too hard. <laughs> what he is. What, that's bad. Bad word choice. Not looking too uh, too deeply. That's uh, not a good. That's not better. Uh, Let's into, move on. Yeah, moving on. Moving on. Okay. So anyway, long story short, uh, not really. But they have been raised. The twins have been raised because they were both. Uh, they were both girls, and I should say, not daughters, but they are quote girl children that's how they're referred to apparently daughter doesn't exist in this universe anyway uh they were raised as boys they were not raised to think that they uh that they were, were actual women because tragen was actually looking for uh for daughters and then twins and so whatever they look nothing like guys at all uh but whatever uh so the something happens like word gets out and the intrigans uh, soldiers are back on the hunt again and they come around this homestead where the two twins have been being raised and they decided to just like lay waste to it right uh and so they kill the the kind of adoptive parents and family that have been raising them this whole time uh and then eventually the sorcerers uh, excuse me, sorcerers, the, the twins who I assume were the sorcerers. I'm not really sure why the name sorcerers is there, uh, but they show up and they have really good innate skills at fighting. Uh, even though again, Every glow. 1982, not the, not glow. the best. Yeah. Not the best. Uh, and then Krona shows up after 20 years, wonderful timing. And he stops and he feels really bad that the adoptive family uh, that he, uh, that he gave them to is dead now. So after they set up a funeral pyre for the family, he just sort of walks into like Daenerys Targaryen uh, into that giant flames. So he dies. So he's gone. So it's like if Gandalf was out of the movie in 15 minutes and we never saw him again. It's just like the, this huge buildup for what his amazing warrior Krona is only for him to leave. In like Anyways, got to go now. <laughs> See ya. I like to think he didn't really die and he just really didn't want to. He was just happened to be wandering past. And he just like used some sort of special magic to make it look like he died. Uh, so while this is happening, uh, not only is there a satyr, but there's a random like Viking dwarf type guy who shows up. No idea why he's there whatsoever. It just happens to be going by. I think he's a friend of the satyr. He helps out. I think his name is Baldur. He's got a, he also has a horrible beard. Uh, he agrees or he's, he's going to help them help the two twins uh, get uh get actual revenge on, on, on Tragen. I should say that the twins are named Mira and Mara. Uh, I'm a little confused by that because if they're being raised as, uh, as boys, right, they're being raised to be boys. They're given, I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's different I in this like world. Frank and Joe, I don't know. but Mara, I, 
I've I've met Maras and I've met Miras and they've all been women, but hey, whatever. Uh, so they go off on kind of a quest to get some sort of revenge on Tragen, which takes them to that Persian bizarre town that I mentioned before, where they run into one of Baldur the Viking's friends who is a barbarian. And the barbarian does not look like a barbarian. He has a freaking perm, uh, but whatever. He seems more like a thief because he's cheating dice games and stuff like that. Um, then, so they, they kind of meet up and one of the people who were work who was working at this little casino slash brothel where the barbarian was turns on them and turns them in. And so here come Dragon's soldiers once again, uh, trying, uh, to get them. And what ends up happening, uh, is that they get split up into two groups, Balder and one of the, the twins, and they kind of get split off into one group, whereas the Barbarian and the other twin, I don't remember which one, gets split off into a different group. Uh, they get captured. Uh, they are about to kill the Barbarian by sliding him down a greasy pole onto an impalement stake uh, when it's revealed that he has some sort of royal blood. And so Tragen's like, oh, that's going to make this sacrifice of my firstborn even better. I should let this barbarian have sex with her. And then I should naturally even Caligara is just like, what, dude? It's like I ordered a like a like a Big Mac and you gave me a whole value meal. It's it's amazing. So uh, the they split chances. up. Yeah, and then they then like the two of them who are captured start drinking some weird crap, and they kind of get under some sort of weird mind control spell, uh, and so they kind of seem like they're on board with this Tragen stuff, or maybe Tragen's just super charismatic. I don't really know. Uh, as you might expect, the barbarian starts having sex with that one twin, but as you probably didn't expect, we don't actually watch it. Instead, we watch miles and miles away as the other twin, who is currently not having sex makes it seem like she's having sex because because they're twins, they have the ability to feel the same thing. They feel what the other one's going through. So there she is laying on the ground at a campsite while Balder is like watching her and she's going through all the various sexual like oohs and ahs and whatnot and starts having orgasms. Uh, yeah, and so we watch this whole sex scene from the perspective of a person who's laying on the ground all by themselves because her twin many miles away is having sex. And then there's this amazing part uh, where Balder, the the dwarf, is just like, oh, yep, that must uh, uh, that must be my friend Ehrlich, the barbarian, and I'm like, he can just look at a woman writhing on the ground and just assume that the other twin is having sex with Ehrlich because apparently he's very aware of Ehrlich's sexual moves and sexual stamina. It's a wonderful way to recognize a person. Usually, I just do faces and voices, but hey, you know, different world. So the two of them, uh, them being Balder and uh, the other twin who's writhing around, uh, they try to rescue uh, this the the sister and they try to rescue Ehrlich um, and they end up in some sort of underground tomb where there's a bunch of undead stuff. Uh, there's probably meaning to that. Uh, eventually, there's this huge, uh, big brawl, uh, this 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 big old ceremony where Tragen's actually going to to not just not just sacrifice his firstborn daughter, but also sacrifice a bunch of virgins because, you know, I don't really understand why, but he's like, now bring out the sacrificial virgins. And I'm like, I thought that the whole purpose of this entire movie was to sacrifice your firstborn daughter. And if virginity was so important, why did you like encourage Ehrlich to have sex with her? It's very confusing. I don't really understand. Uh, and so then Valder and the other, uh, the other sister, they show up 
and they uh, they start fighting. And then up in the sky, uh, a a really buffed manticore, which I think is the representation of a god that starts with the name V, and I can't remember the name, Volos maybe, uh, starts fighting with another god, which I assume is Caligara, which is like a big disembodied head of like the Wicked Witch of the West, if half of her face was like lizard scales. And then they start shooting like green laser bolts out of their, uh, out of their eye or lightning bolts out of their eyes and chins and stuff like that. And it's it's really awful. And they shoot it at the ground. And then apparently the zombies, like the skeleton undead army comes up from the ground where like the catacombs below where Balder was, was, was running through. And yeah. And then uh, at the end, all the good people win. Uh, and then Ehrlich decides that he needs he's going to keep both uh, sisters for himself uh, because uh, the two uh, the two are one. The end. Thank you, Roger Corman. As you might be able to tell from my uh, amazing summary of this movie, I absolutely love, love the fact that I ever have to watch it again, uh, ever. Yeah, it's it's terrible. This is so bad. Like I can't I cannot say anything good about it. I have nothing good to say about it. Nothing. And if if we listen to our mothers, isn't our mothers say like, if you don't have anything good to say, don't say anything at all. That would that's poor advice for a podcast. But there are so many things that I don't really understand. There's a scene in the very beginning, like I was describing, that where uh, Tragen's main guard comes into like the adoptive parents' home, and when he sees the two the two daughters, he was just like, "Death to any man that harms them," suggesting like, "Don't harm them." Immediately followed within like five seconds by, "Kill them." I'm confused. Like if I'm an, if I'm a soldier, I don't, I don't understand, dude, do you want us to not harm them or do you want us to kill them? Are we supposed to kill them without harming them? Is this a puzzle? Is this a riddle? Like how, how does this happen? I don't really understand. It's like two, it's like a couple guys like, I, would we do we, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So there is a forbidden forest and there's also a monkey guy in this one. Who's, who's one of Tragen's, I, I don't know, not Tragen, but Tragen's current wife, I guess has like a friend who is a monkey guy. He's like a little ape and it's not a real ape. It's a guy in a monkey costume. It basically looks like if you got really high on drugs and then you watched return of the Jedi and you were like, Oh, those Ewoks, man. And then the Ewoks were super perverted. Then that's what you have in this movie, a super perverted, you're high on mushrooms, Ewok, that type of thing. Uh, and so there's a whole thing where they go into like a forbidden forest where no one's ever made it out alive. This big old buildup. We're there for like 10 seconds, just in Dutch time. And it's just enough time for that monkey and a bunch of other monkeys to throw stuff at them. And then we're out. Everything's cool. Uh, so it was absolutely ridiculous. Uh, let's see. What other things just drive me nuts? So, so during the two thumbs up is what you're saying. You're telling me this is a. Sure, sure, sure. And okay. I, guess the, I guess the last thing I want to. Okay, there's two things I like. There's two things I want to say. And then I'll stop. And then you can quiz me. And then we can move on. So during that last climactic battle in this courtyard where this sacrifice is taking place during the entire fight there's fighting going on there's undead zombies coming up out of the ground that's fighting these other people and these other uh you know these other soldiers and then you know balder and his and his friends and like the satyr who's still there apparently and there's lightning bolts coming down from the sky etc during this crazy commotion with all this magic and fighting and zombies coming up there's a dude playing the bongos in the back and he just keeps playing the bongos all the way through. He's just he's doing it the whole time. I just I just really admire it. I don't know who it was. 
But I admire that person's uh, the dedication. The concentration. The this is the band of the Titanic. They're, they're very, very much so. Very much so. Very much so. Uh, you know, I hear that this movie was the inspiration for the Titanic. Some, uh, some say that. Some, some say that. Uh, and then finally, my favorite line of the movie was as from Balder. So as the final battle is taking place and as the zombies are coming up out of the ground, they immediately make a beeline for the sacrificial virgins. Like they don't even try to fight. They just bypass everybody else and go right for the sacrificial virgins. And they just grab them and start wandering away. And Balder's like, well, you've been dead for a thousand years. So, yep. And it's just like so dumb. It's such a bad line. Uh, anyway, it's a terrible movie. Don't watch it. Uh, yeah, there you go. All right, well, you ready for this uh, quiz for this inspiring film? Uh, sure. All right. So first question. Uh, when the girls get older and they raid their adoptive family's home, uh, they have hillbilly dad, hillbilly stepdad. They right? don't raid Tragen raid. Yeah, I, I follow. Trigan. Go ahead. So uh, they have hillbilly stepdad, which I thought was funny because out of everyone that has like uh, London or English accents, this guy sounds like he's from South Carolina, which I thought was great. He's like, oh, we have to save the girls. And it's just like, okay. Either way, uh, when they're fighting, uh, Hillbilly Dad fights a couple people with a couple weapons. What was his best weapon that he fought with? So I don't really remember the specific. I remember he threw something at a guy and it didn't really work. So, or no, maybe it did work. I can't remember. I think he threw something at a guy like a spear or a rake or something. But I like to think, and this is probably not the right answer. I like to think that his most interesting and best and most effective weapon uh, was the power of friendship as he extended a hand of friendship to these uh, these Tragen soldiers, much like he did 20 years earlier when he extended the hand of friendship to Krona to to watch these these orphan children. Uh, so that is my answer, the, the power of friendship. Well, Jeffrey, you're wrong. The real answer is because uh, uh, that's a, that's just a dumb answer. Anybody uh, who says friendship is wrong is wrong. Friendship is for the birds, I say. Uh, but as as ponies might say, friendship is magic. Yeah. Uh, his best weapon he used was a pair of nunchucks that he had uh, sitting on a well, because you know farmers in medieval times sure. had nunchucks. So did you know that nunchucks were actually invented in South Carolina? You know, I know this now. Thank you. Most Thanks people think they were invented by a fictional turtle, but no, 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 no. It was by a gamecock. That's what it was. Yeah, these are these are this these, are, a, these a, are facts. This is family programming. You can't be saying those words like that. That's, that's I'm about to bleep that out. Anyways, next question: uh, What will happen to the man? All right, hold on. Let me read this one. I can't read my own handwriting. Okay, okay. What's going to happen to the guy that stole treats from the bakery now? He gets his hands cut off, right? And Balder's like, "Well, that was going to be my answer." Is he gets his yeah. hands cut off? That's so how I got it is. right. Woo, so, that's a point. So Balder says something will happen to him after he loses his hands, and he says it in such a terrible way. Uh, I'd like you to tell me what will happen after he loses his hands, and what will become of it. So, and Balder's voice, because he's uh, the voice acting in this film, is probably some of the best voice acting I've ever heard in my entire life. So, uh, pr proceed if you if you will. 
So if I recall correctly, he gets his hands cut off. And then Balder says in his Balder voice, it, it sounds like this, but it's not quite because I don't really remember. It's been like three weeks, but I think he's going to extend his hands and friendship to the people uh, who cut off again, his hands. Again, this, this friendship thing? Hands? I don't know the answer to this question. Okay, so that, I don't know what you're doing with this whole friendship thing, but we got to cut it out. All right, it's done. All right, it doesn't work. This is not a movie for friendship. Okay, it's a movie about sorceresses. There's sorceresses everywhere in this film. Everywhere. <laughs> there really aren't. So the name of the movie, by the way, the reason it's called Sorceress is because Corman went to like uh went and asked or solicited uh, advice from a bunch of school children or something and like gave a list of choices for the title and the school children picked this one. I really hope he didn't screen this movie for school children because the twins are frolicking around naked in uh, in the very beginning of the movie. Uh, then there's a scene where they discover that they're not actually women and that's awkward. Uh, and then there's that whole weird sex scene. So uh, not to mention, I mean, like the violence class. Maybe, I don't think maybe anyone bleeds in this movie, by the way. I'm trying to think. If there's any ever blood, I don't remember any blood. blood. All right, so what he says is, he will be a beggar and be better for it. That's how he says it. It's some of the worst voice acting I've ever heard in a movie in my entire life. Sure, so I want to make sure I pointed that out. It struck me in the head quite hard when it happened. Justin, I have a quiz question for you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Would you consider the voice acting in this movie to be better or worse than the voice acting uh, 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 in uh, in what's that called? Neo Yokio. Oh my god, I never better see that show ever again. It's better just because I think they're taking the Neo Yokio stuff seriously. So it's that's the incorrect answer. That's incorrect. I get a point on my quiz because you got this. No, 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 no. You can't, you can't, you can't do counter questions. That doesn't work. We haven't established these rules. Anyways, you next question. You ask a question. What's going to happen to the guy? And then you immediately gave me the answer. And I was going to say he gets his hand cut off. That's a half a point. I sh- I am deserved. I deserve. I deserve. Anyways, next question. For a while, so like you you mentioned how Ulrich was uh, strapped up against a, a greased pole, and it was sliding down into a spike. Uh, which, by the way, you see Ulrich's bare butt in this movie. So much manscaping, not a thing yet. Not a it thing yet. So much hairy butt in this movie. Anyways, he he gets away because they find out he's got royal blood or whatever. Anyways, when he meets up with Mara or Mira, whichever one it was, because they're the same person, right? So it doesn't really matter. Uh, well, they're twins in real life. No, they're they're actually two different people. So uh, he tells she asks him where he was, and he said for a while. Him and the guards had something. So what did him and the guards have something of for a while where he wasn't able to talk to her? It was a, the best joke of the film, I feel, uh, came from him. So can you remember what that joke was? It made me chuckle. Okay, so I, I don't remember. I don't remember, the, I remember. I remember the moment. I'm trying to remember what the line was. I know at one point during the impeachment, in, in, impalement process, he says, you made your point. You don't have to stick it to me, which was really, really funny. Both- both very good lines. Very, very Which are really, really funny. Um, but uh, no, I, I don't remember the specific joke that you're referring to. All right. So he said they had a sharp dispute. Hmm. I, I like you made your point. You don't have to stick it to me better. 
than a sharp yeah. dispute. Sharp disputes. You poke him in the butt. Anyways, uh, okay. Last question. Oh no, no, I have, I have two more. Is this the movie? So does this movie have great special effects or the greatest special effects? Uh, here's some examples of these great special effects I speak of. First off, uh, Krona or whatever the guy's name is, when he appears in the beginning of the movie, one of the best spears I've ever seen in a film. Uh, so there's that. Um, the uh, satyr looks like a guy just wearing pants. So there's that too. Um, the glowy effects of the girls, the fighting sequences where they just sped it up to like 1.5 speed to make it look like a real fast, but they're not. Uh, also, you have giant minotaur. You have uh, 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 it's Star a Wars manticore, lighting. not a minotaur. Right, my bad, my bad, my bad. Ah, man. Uh, there's uh, they're not even close to one another. There's a force lightning coming from uh, uh, Tragon that's like green it's stuff. Green. So, considering this, you know, you have. Uh, 1993's Jurassic Park, right? You have uh, the Industrial Light and Magic's uh, Star Wars when it first came out in uh, the late 70s. And then you have this. What is, is, is this the greatest special effects you've ever seen in a movie in your entire life? Yeah. I mean, did you see how swole that manticore looked? I was reading that apparently the, the manticore that they got wasn't swole and they had a cgi all of that musculature in really kind yeah. of like, like read, a, a captain america type of thing that's what you're saying okay yeah or like a superman thing where it's just like mustache no mustache don't know what to do oh so okay. they, I they know you're cgi going the muscles onto that real life manticore oh, making him suddenly look like he's been he's been He's been dope. Very rarely do you hear of people using the benchmark of the CGI mustache in and ba- Superman as a way to describe uh, a greatness in a film. So it's great Justin, to hear some refreshing takes. Quiz for you, off topic. <laughs> Better special effects. Superman mustache, Green Lantern mask. Oh, that is that is, that is a legit okay? tough question. Really oh boy uh i was never more off put by something than when i saw that superman mustache removal okay. i've okay. never been more off put so i had to say that that is worse than the uh green lantern mask green lantern mask is awful looking but it's just there's something wrong with his face and stop it i didn't like it so yeah i hear you all right so you got there you got you go. a full question for, for, for a full uh, correct question for that last question. Uh-huh. Uh, this is a really important one. Why do I keep on accidentally assigning you porn? So I know the answer to this one uh, because you you're kind of quick and lazy when it comes to uh, coming up with these quizzes. So you just sort of look at something really quick. You're like, oh, it's 1980s. That must be good. And you never really look at the fact that Roger Corman's name is well, with Jeff. Him. I have a surprise for you. You get double points because this was a joke question. And that's the exact answer of what really happened. I don't look into the things that I assign you sometimes. I just look I at a pretty so sweet well. cover box art. And I'm like, this is pretty sweet. He's going to love it. The thing is, the box art cover has got nothing to do with the movie. Like, if you actually look at this, there's the manticore. It's like the only legitimate thing. Oh, my God. There's like a monkey. It's sweet box art cover, though. 
there's Mark. like a red Sonia style like chainmail bikini woman that's not in this. Like, what are you doing? It's, it's oh my god. Anyways, oh, you'll get double points for that. So, Jeff, based on that, you get yourself three whole points uh, for this quiz. Uh, and I'll be even willing what you said. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, the the hands get cut. Off. I'll give you that half credit for the hands getting cut. Off. Oh, so now you're just being nice. I'll be a nice. I, I think you're worried about retribution because I gave you <laughs> porn, so I'm gonna be nice this week. So there you go. You get three and a half points. I'm very proud of uh, of your performance this week. Well, thank you, uh, Justin. Uh, you gave me crap this week. I gave you something really good. Uh, so uh, tell us about it. So Jeffrey, you assigned me a film by the name of The Good. <laughs> The bad and the weird. This movie came out in 2008. It is directed by Ji Woon Kim and is also written by him and also by uh, a screenplay by Min Soo Kim. So this movie stars a couple of uh, fantastic Korean characters, and I am a, a a huge fan of Asian cinema. You have uh, Kang Ho Sung plays uh, the weird, Byung Hoon Lee plays the bad, and Woo Sung Jung plays the good. And so their names in the movie, respectively, and I'm, you should be pretty impressed by my ability to get through this without stumbling one time so far. Uh, yeah, it's like we've tried to do this like four times. So yeah, and six <laughs> times later, I get it. All right, so the weird's name is, uh, is Yun Tae-gu, the bad's name is Park Chang-yi, and the good's name is Park Dal-won. I'm not going to keep on doing that because I think one time's good enough to prove that I'm not an idiot. So I'll just, just go plus the title of the movie is the good, the bad, the weird. So you might as well just use. The I'll just stick with that. Yeah. So essentially, uh, the movie opens up with the bad, and the bad is at uh, like a banker's uh, place, and he is setting up a transfer of a map uh, to go onto this uh, train. And with this transfer, he wants the map back, so he's hiring the bad to go steal it from the train as he's transferring it. Um, Meanwhile, on the same train, you have the weird who is uh, posing as a, uh, I guess, a, a candy salesman walking up and down the aisles trying to sell stuff because he's looking to just rob the car, the train. Uh, and, at, and there's a really great opening sequence with fantastic music and this uh, aerial shot of like a CGI hawk coming in, but it doesn't even matter CGI, it just looks really, really cool. It's hot coming in and going to the, the train, and there's a long beautiful music and and a long uh cut scene of uh of the weird just walking from car to car uh showing the calamity of what's going on um so while there he uh he robs the final car and the car that he robs has the map in it and uh he doesn't know much about it he just knows it looks like it's pretty important so he takes the map uh, the bad is trying to uh, loot the train at the time, so he, him and his band of, of miscreants go and uh, uh, intercept the train and start uh, killing people on it. And the good just happens to be on the train he's traveling because he's a, a, a bounty hunter, and he's just looking for bounties to try and bring home. So in the process of this, he kind of sees everything going down, and as the weird runs away, he kind of chases him and Tries trying to figure out what's going on because he knows that the weird has a bounty on his head. So as they're running away, uh, this this band of of outlaws look like Mongolians. I guess they're like the uh, the ghost street gang or something. Like the that. ghost the ghost market gang. Yeah, yeah, ghost market gang. Uh, they recognize the, the friend that he, that uh, the weird's working with, and his name is uh, Mangil. And they say, "Oh, we know Mangil." 
whatever he's involved with, it's not good. So there must be they somehow know about the map and they, they, the the map must be there. So they go and try and pursue them and figure out what's going on. You kind of follow the weird back to his home, which is in a, a like a really cool uh, back alley street where uh, all these different weird dealings are going on. And you go back to his house where you meet his grandmother. And his grandmother is a sweet old lady who just falls asleep all the time. Uh, and she's really cute and old. And uh, he lives with Mangale. And they kind of uh, look at the map and they realize that it's a treasure map to something very, very important. And uh, if he were to somehow get a hold of whatever's there, he'd become very rich and kind of kind of retire from whatever he's doing, you know, being a, being a uh, you know an outlaw and doing that different type of stuff. So... In the process of doing all this, his friend man Gil decides that it's probably best to sell the map. So he tries to sell the map to the Ghost Street gang, and uh, they try killing him. And in the process of that, the bad also finds out that he was trying to sell the map. And the bad kind of starts to butcher his friend and start killing him. Um, when this all happens, the good shows up. There's a really cool fight scene in this back alley area. And the weird and the good get away, and they end up with each other. And uh, the good kind of like ties up the weird. And they have a talk about why they're doing the things that they're doing, what's going on. Uh, and uh, it's kind of a cool little moment between the two of what's going on. And they kind of like make a, uh, a deal. Let's work together to uh, to find this treasure map and do what we got to do. And we'll, I'll get you out of here, but I'm going to turn you in when it's all over. Um, however, in the middle of the night, the weird kind of like bails on him, tries to do it on his own. Uh, the... In the process of it, uh, you find out that the good is really a bounty hunter because he had a friend that was butchered by a guy called the Finger Trapper. And so his job his entire time since he's been out doing this whole uh, uh, bounty hunting thing is trying to find the Finger Trapper to avenge his friend because uh, he's, he's just he's a monster. And he's trying to stop him from doing that stuff. Um, and he thinks that the bad is the Finger Trapper. So he's trying to pursue the bad. Also, the weird is just a, a little uh, purse for him to get along the side. So weird gets away. The Japanese government finds out that the map is out there. And they're afraid that if the Manchurians get a hold of the, you know, the rebels get a hold of it, that they're going to get power enough to fight against the, the Japanese overthrow of, of uh, Eastern uh uh, Asia and so they're trying to stop as well so all these is culminating beautiful scene where it's the weird running away from an entire Japanese armor army or not armor army uh an entire yeah, it's, uh, it's just one big uh big suit yeah, of it's, armor it's a giant right mech yeah. that would be pretty cool too actually this, this, this movie's like a weird turn uh I didn't realize they had that technology yet is a Wild Wild West starring uh, Jim West. Desperado. Whoa! I actually thought about assigning that to you at some point, but I, you already seen it. Terrible movie, and it's uh, it's Will Smith. So even as bad as it could be, it's still Will Smith. So it's great. Anyways, uh, he's being chased by the Japanese army. He's being chased by the bad and his gang. He's being chased by uh, the uh, with the Ghost Street gang, and uh, the bad wants to take down the weird because. He he knows him, and I guess there's rumors that he beat him once in a duel, and like he doesn't he wants to be known as the best, so he's got a chip on his shoulder. He doesn't really care about the map; he just wants to get the weird. And so, like, there are all these guys; all these three guys are are just weirdly interconnected in a way. And so they end up like the whole fight stops. It's a really cool sequence. I don't want to get too much into it because I don't want to spoil too much. Uh, but 
they end up having a Mexican standoff between the three of them, much like uh, the the good, the bad, and the ugly. And um, something happens. I'm not going to say who wins or what goes on. And uh, but the big reveal that I am going to spoil, which I know is kind of dumb, uh, is that uh, you find out that the finger chopper wasn't the bad. The finger chopper was the weird, and that um, he had chopped off the bad's fingers and almost killed him, left him to die. And so these three are inexorably linked to one another. That the good was hunting the wrong one, uh, but the weird was really the one he was trying to get because the weird killed his friend. And the weird had done all these things back in Korea and wanted to leave that life and try and change his life and be better for him and his grandmother and was trying to change things around. He's really a, a tremendous like uh, killer. And uh, he he's trying to change his life. He just wants to move on from it, but he can't escape his past because his past is in the form of the bad and the bad wants to kill him because he murdered his friends and he, he mangled him and made him a, a fool. And so these three are just inextricably linked on how they're put together. And so it's a big reveal at the end of the movie. Um, and then they have their Mexican standoff and then they reveal what the treasure is. And it's, it's a really, really cool ending overall. I love this film. The art design's fantastic. The action's fantastic. The music's great. Um, I really, really love the way this worked. Um, and the the story till the end had me hooked the whole time. I think it's like a hour and 40 minutes. It didn't feel like it. It was just a really, really fun, exciting film. The, the action's very well paced. The action sequences are great. I love Asian cinema, and I love uh, this particular type of uh, feel. This like weird cross between Western and almost like... Um, it's like a spaghetti western slash, uh, even though it's not a spaghetti western slash kung fu film, just the way it feels, you know. So I, I like the way. Yeah, it it's not really martial arts. I would say. I mean, but it's just like, it's just the There's way the action the action sequences are built. Yeah. It's kind of yeah, like yeah. that. So, so it's, it's interesting like that you said an hour and forty minutes. It must really not have felt like an hour and forty minutes because it's actually a two hour movie. So. Oh, perfect, then. perfect. Yeah. yeah, there's like it's at least one hundred twenty minutes run time. But yeah. I like the guy. The guy who but played the weird was fantastic, you. and the guy who played it's the pretty interesting. So yeah, I love it. So yeah, that's that's the movie. So pretty even. I gave you sources. You gave me this. Pretty much the same yep. reaction. Yeah. Yep. yep. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah. So I am going to spoil who won the Mexican standoff. You know who won, Justin? The friendship. Viewer. Oh, the okay. <laughs> no. What? No. No. That, that's that's none of them are friends. That makes no oh, sense. Yeah, and yeah. and that's that's yeah. Yeah, that's the problem. Had they been friends, it would be a totally different movie. Are you ready for your, your quiz? Your, your Absolutely, quiz? I am. Okay, Justin, when the weird was pretending to... What was the weird pretending to sell as he passed through the various train cars in the very beginning of the movie? And what animal got in his way? All I remember is that he was selling candies. And maybe a chicken got in the way. I don't. I don't know. Oh, so close, Justin! It was a duck. Oh, I don't remember the duck. I would have also accepted goose, uh, but it's definitely a duck or a goose. Certainly not a chicken. And he was selling rice cakes and candy. Rice cakes and candy. Uh, So I'm gonna go ahead and give you a point two five. That's something there. I'm gonna give something there. I'll take it. I don't think that's actually correct. Probably should be point three three, but that's that's too complicated. Matt's hard. Okay, so Justin. There was a particular bounty on the weird's head that during the early parts of the movie, it was worth one thing. And then towards the end of the movie, it was worth even more. 
Now, in the early parts of the movie, when describing what the weird's bounty was worth, the weird has a has a phrase. He describes it as something. So what what was the weird's bounty worth according to himself? I think it was I think it was a thousand. So mm. like a horse is that maybe your final answer. Like a ho- no, no, no. But you're you're on the right track if you were going to eventually say piano. Because uh, if you were yeah, yeah. eventually horse going horse to say walks piano. down the path of piano yes. all the time. Right. right. Polar bears. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Polar bears. Okay. All right. So there's this treasure map, as you know, very big thing. It's the MacGuffin. It's the it's the sort of this the centralized item that everyone's you know fighting for. Uh, but as McGill uh, translates it, and then as it's repeated a few other times throughout the movie, uh, there were a series of phrases that were uttered on this map. Uh, what were those words and phrases? What did the treasure map literally say? It was like excavation, large amount, something like that. It, because they were very unspecific with it, which made the twist at the end very interesting. So but it was like, it made, mentioned something like digging and excavation and removing a large amount. That's all I can really remember. So something like that. Interesting. Um, very close. Uh, it wasn't large quantities. It was large volumes. It wasn't excavation. It was dig up. Uh, and then you also forgot that. This is like half. Five, you also forgot the fact that it also said treasure on the oh. treasure map. And that uh, it was buried. So treasure, buried, dig up, large volumes is what was translated. So I'm going to go ahead and give you a half credit for that. I forgot the large volumes. That is very important. Okay. Yeah. Yep. 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 So you're at 0.75. Justin, what does the weird say that he do with the treasure? And what does the good say that he do with the treasure? So the weird says he's going to get a farm and get a bunch of cats and dogs and cows. That's what he wants to do. He just wants to get away from it and live with his grandmother out there. And then when the good says what he's going to do, the weird falls asleep. So he doesn't say anything. So he kind of doesn't. Kind of the second it. part is exactly correct. The first part, you started great, but then you said something about living with the grandmother. And I don't recall him actually saying that. Why so would he? Actually... She's adorable. So yeah, she sleeps in a cabinet or something. It was so weird. Yeah. Nah, but that's right. That's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's good. So you're at one point seven five. This one, this one's for all the marbles now. Boy, boy, this really separates men from the boys. This is a very difficult question. There is a right and wrong answer. I would like you to do a little bit of sort of creative, uh, creative problem solving here. So using both you and I, Justin and Jeff. And any of our other shared friends like Wobbly or Gabe or Keith, I would like you to create a three label title, much like the good, the bad, the weird, or the good, the bad, and the ugly, explaining which label is attributed to which person. So what what am I, what are you, and what is our friend that you choose to use, and why? And then I would like a general plot of this story. Okay, so here we go. It's going to be called The Good the bad and the old. All right. That's what we're gonna do. So the, so what's happening is you have three friends that become esports gamers, right? And one of them gets invited to a pro hots team and invites the other two to join with. Right. And uh, so what happens is one of them's very good at games and usually carries the other two 
all the time when they play. The second one is terrible games, almost embarrassingly bad at the games where he even has a Twitch channel and doesn't understand why people watch him because he's really bad, right? And the third one's too old to keep playing because he gets like tinnitus in his arm and he's old and his hands don't work because he's old. And so what happens at the end of the movie is the culmination <laughs> is the old one kills the bad one. And then the other two just become very successful in their gaming because the bad one was just holding him back. So that's so. So he gets tinnitus. Is Sorry, yeah, tinnitus. His tendon starts ringing. Is that what happens? <laughs> his wrist starts ringing. <laughs> his wrist really just loud. starts ringing. Uh, Justin, that's absolutely incorrect. I do uh, admire the uh, the bold strategy of insulting the person. Uh, that is asking you a question. That's very bold, my friend. Uh, but unfortunately, that isn't correct. The correct answer is the fat, the fatter, and the dude who pisses in the sink. There you go. Okay. Speaking, speaking wildly, our friend Wobbly, who likes to tell us how he likes to, to urinate uh, in the sink. He's an animal. He's ridiculous. Uh, but yeah, That's, that would I be... I should have thought about the guy who pisses in yeah. the sink. I should have yeah. thought about yeah. that. Everyone should. Everyone should. Every time you go up to wash your hands in a sink, just... <laughs> Run that through your mind really quickly. And we have a friend who regularly pisses in the sink. He does. Yeah. He does. He does. And uh, he's not really a good friend because I don't think he listens to our podcast. So that's garbage. Uh, so, Justin, unfortunately, that is incorrect. Uh, so you uh, ended think up I shit. I'm all right with, it. with a grand total of 1.75 out of 5. You know, we're back to normal. 2019, starting off right. 1.75 for you, that's respectable. For me, it's awful. But for you, that's respectable. Are you ready for new quizzes, sir? I am ready. All right. So, Justin, I'm going to finish off my Western trilogy, and I'm going to give you a choice. You have the choice between old or new. Of old course, and I amazing go, I and classical go. or new and good. What do you got? Well, obviously, I got to go old, 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 old. Justin, I would like you to watch the first two episodes of, of a classic Western tale. It was the 1990s. It was a better time. And uh, a female doctor, played by Jane Seymour, taught us just how to raise a family in the West. I would like you to watch the first two episodes of Dr. Quinn, Medicine Woman. I used to watch this when I was a little kid. I remember nothing about it. All I remember is her husband was I, like Native American or something. That's about it. He, I don't think he was. I think he was like raised by, I can't remember, but Sully. You're talking about Sully, right? Like the guy she, I, I don't know. It's so long ago. So, yeah. So, I, what I always liked is that how she survived in the West and she was able to retire her medical practice and open up a jewelry uh, company. And so now she sells jewelry uh, on television. Open hearts. Thank you, Cage Jewelers, for giving us this opportunity. Yeah. There you go. Former right, uh, former Bond vixen, uh, Jan, Jane Seymour, as well. All right. You ready for yours? Oh, I'm ready. All right. So, I've. I feel kind of bad for giving you a piece of garbage. So I'm trying yep. to get quality. This is straight yep. quality. Uh-huh. It's been getting a lot of Oscar buzz and stuff. So it's gotta Sorceress be- 2. Yeah. Uh, electric electric Boogaloo. Boogaloo. <laughs> yeah, so, electric Boogaloo. All right. So uh, this is on Netflix. It's free. It's called Roma. It's directed by the guy who did Children of Men. It's supposed to be pretty good. Uh, it's supposed to be quality film. So... Hopefully it's good and it makes up for this garbage I just gave you. So, uh, yeah, Roma. 
on this one. Yeah. I love the director. I love Children of Men. It's one of my all-time favorite movies. Uh, also, this just got, yeah, like you said, this just, this just got nominated, I think. This is one of the nominations. This is Netflix's first Best Picture nomination. Look at that. So, uh, so it better be good. If it's not, I'm going to come to your house. I'm going to kick your dog. I'm no, pull, he just got fixed. The shrubs. <laughs> not that dog. The other one. Uh, all right. Oh, yeah, she's fine. <laughs> yeah, I can go and kick that. All right. Uh, all right. On that note, let's close this uh, very long, but I think finally successfully, knock on wood, recorded uh, episode down. This is episode 41, not to be confused uh, with the longest episode ever. Uh, so if you would be so kind, if you like what you're hearing, uh, or even if you don't like what you're hearing, uh, hop on the old iTunes, uh, leave us a review, uh, stars, a couple notes, whatever you might think. Uh, if you get your podcast from somewhere else, whether it's Stitcher, whether it's uh, you know some other app, uh, feel free drop us drop us a line. That'd be great. Uh, you can uh, send us an email, uh, Jeff or Justin at lollygaggerco.com, uh, or you can get us on Twitter, like me specifically at lollygaggerco. Uh, Justin also does some Twitch streaming, as he's mentioned uh, tirelessly over and over again, effectively and properly marketing his channel every time. Uh, but that is twitch.tv slash Jehufa. Do, uh, do you have any final words for our dedicated uh, listeners? Out there? uh basically like if i've been trying to get a lot of stuff out on like social media and reddit and stuff if uh you like what you hear let other people know uh, i'd like to try and we're trying to do our best to expand this as much as we can so either put like the you know like and subscribe on youtube uh forward us on, on uh, different social media platforms or just itunes just give us some nice reviews would be great we're just really trying to we're trying to break this plateau we're at so if you could that'd be fantastic all right so definitely go watch the good the bad the weird definitely go read die definitely go play villainous but for the love of all that is righteous in this world do not watch sorceress from roger corman have a good night everyone